So there are lots of things that are tricky right now. And one of the big ones that we don't seem to be talking about is how hard it is to help people. Hi, I'm Penny Terry and welcome to the second season of Health Speak. And things on the podcast are different because, well, isn't everything? In the first season, we got to know the many different health people in our communities so we could better look after our health. This season, we're going to get to know some of the people and support services who are dealing with really tough stuff right now, so we can better look after our community and know how to help from our homes. And I wonder what sort of impact our actions as a whole can have on relieving the load on our health and community services right now, and to relieve the load on our minds, if we can feel helpful rather than helpless because it's pretty easy to feel helpless right now. None more so than when we think about what social isolation means for women and families who are experiencing family violence. On this episode of HealthSpeak, we will hear really practical ways we can help, but we will cover some tough things at the start. So if that's going to be triggering for you, perhaps come back for our next episode. Honestly, the first thing came to mind was horror and fear because I've had lived experience of domestic violence and my mindset's still in that place. And I immediately thought of uh, women and men and children who are stuck at home, they're with their abuser uh, 24 hours a day it's untenable and just an awful situation for me to um, think about if uh, we'd been together 24 hours a day, particularly in this heightened atmosphere um, of the COVID-19. Look, without exaggeration and dramatisation, I think it might have ended in my um, death. Yeah, the topics that we could talk about don't get much bigger than this and they don't get much more important either. Deb is what's known as a survivor advocate. She's now safe and she's got to a stage where she feels she's able to talk about her experiences. There's always been a huge call on the services who support those in situations like Deb's and already the demand has increased. The Women's Legal Service in Tasmania is getting more calls about financial support, parenting support and family violence support. The CEO, Yvette Seetal, says it's no surprise to her. I immediately thought about the social isolation, so not just the physical isolation of being stuck in your your home alone or with your kids, but being cut off from any social supports, friends, family, neighbours and anybody else. And I also thought about how vulnerable people were to technological abuse. And by that, I mean not having access to the phone. Um, Many of our clients have shared phones or not having access to the family computer if families do have one. So that really filled me with dread. You've just touched on something there. I mean, we hear about these words family violence and domestic violence, but quite often it's not about physical violence. Can you just remind us about some of the abuse that that women and children do do experience? Yeah, look, 
The, the definition of family violence or abuse is really very broad and often people's minds do go to the physical aspects of it, you know, and they think about the, the bruises and the broken bones and, you know, seeing somebody's face um, punched up or bruised. But no two situations are the same. So it can look really different. So verbal abuse can be constant put-downs and criticisms the constant kind of undermining of self and you know economic abuse can look like one person having control over the assets or the income making all the decisions about how money is going to be spent in the home losing it with the kids when you're doing the shopping because you're on a really strict budget so that impacts your relationship as a mother with your children Sexual assault is often one that people don't really think about as being family violence, but it can be someone persisting with asking for sex or acts and the person really not wanting to say yes, but then in the end just giving in. Or also it might be loss of control over contraception. So I've heard of cases where holes have been put in condoms, where women have felt that they're having protected sex and they haven't been and that's resulted in a pregnancy. It can also be convincing somebody to have an abortion or withholding access to an abortion. That's a real concern with COVID-19 and the current circumstance because we're not really sure how easy access to uh, termination services might actually be if we go into lockdown and if health resources are reprioritised. And there's emotional abuse um, or intimidation as well. And that can be humiliating somebody, it can be sending sexually explicit images or some other images that are embarrassing to somebody. Uh, and it can also be social isolation, like cutting somebody off from friends, family, and neighbours. And we know that a lot of homes don't have a computer. If there's only one phone and you can't get access to it, then you've got no way of communicating to the outside world. I think this is the stage where we start to feel helpless, but there are ways we can recognise what's going on and also things we can do to help. Let's check in again with Deb, who calls it like we're feeling it. It's an impossible situation to begin with. The only good thing this virus has done is highlight the plight of abused um, victims. For people who might be listening and they're worried about their friends and families or, or they just know that there are people in their community who are going through this situation now, mm -hmm. do you have any ideas of what people can do to help from home? Um, with neighbours, uh, they do tend normally to either ignore heard arguments. I urge neighbours or anyone walking past the house at the time or anyone within the house that can get access to a phone or a computer not to ignore this. But I would recommend neighbours calling the police not caring that they might be just sticking their nose in where it's not wanted. This is not the time for that sort of hesitancy and reticence. Just go out there and um, report what you're hearing. I mean, neighbours really are sort of the best hope at the moment because they're the closest. They really are. They're the only ones outside the home. You can reach fairly easily. 
We're starting to get into some of the things we can do to help. Now, the yelling thing and calling the police might seem like the obvious one, but Deb mentioned that word hesitation. And I wonder where this fits for you. I talked to a vet from the Women's Legal Service about some of those things we can look out for that might make us feel more confident to act. And not just for now, during COVID-19 conditions, but for later too. Yeah, look, Penny, I think it's really important that all of us um, aren't passive bystanders and doing nothing isn't an option. If you think that something's not quite right, then your intuition's probably right. And often people have shied away from those difficult conversations with their neighbours, friends, family. Um, But it's really important that we don't think that those conversations are off limits but of course it is about being connected to all of those around us and to talking to people when we've got a chance about what's going on and the nature of their relationship and also noticing things like you might be sitting down to have a drink with one of your friends and you might notice that they're being bombarded by texts for example uh, or messages Uh, So do you ignore that or do you say to them, is everything all right? Is there something going on? And the chances are that they, you know, they may tell you and there may not be any signs that are physical. So you might be looking for, they might talk about their partner as being really possessive or jealous um, of monitoring everywhere that they are, uh, of following them. Uh, They might also say to you not to send an email or You know, there might be ways they prefer not to um, interact. They may not have a lot of friends, family and visitors because one of the other things that I think people should be encouraged not to do is to, when they find out about this, to say, oh, I don't want that person in my house because that might mean that neither person's in the house. So the person who's experiencing the family violence doesn't feel then because they've been excluded from being invited to your place if their partner can't come and they go everywhere together. That further isolates that person from, you know, pro-social activities and feeds into the perpetrator's plan, if you like, to isolate the person. People are often hypervigilant too, so they might, you know, be scanning the environment to see if the person's around or if they're being watched. They might not go out alone or go to functions ever on their own. They might always be with the other person. Or you might hear conversations that aren't respectful where the person's being put down or you might see or hear about an image that's been sent around or they might be always checking and on edge. I mean, there's a whole range of things that you can look for in the behaviour of your friends and family to pick up on what's actually going on. That's a big list. We no longer need to be bystanders. But it's one thing to recognise that there might be a problem and it's another thing to know what to do to help appropriately and safely. And both Deb and Yvette have some ideas. The thing that helped me at the time get out of my situation, I was living 40 kilometres out of town. I was locked in my um, house. I had no keys to the car. The front gate was locked. So I was virtually a prisoner as well. What helped me was um, my husband wasn't there some of the hours. One refuge I rang, I went and saw them and they gave me a little card that I could hide in my shoe. 
with contact numbers and I hid that card in my shoe the entire time my husband was home with me and then when he wasn't there I'd call those numbers. And swear codes are really important because when I rang people my husband used to stand over me and listen. This is why it's really important um, to have some sort of code set up with the neighbours. If you can actually see a neighbour, have some sort of code word or code um, practice that says you might be in danger, like um, opening and shutting blinds three times at the window where a neighbour can see, or even dropping something into their mailbox to say, I'm in trouble, please get help. Some sort of code so they know to call you at a time when violence is occurring. Apart from calling the police, what are some other useful things that people can do to help? They can listen and speak to people and be really open to hearing what they've got to say without really without being judgmental or telling them what they should do. The other thing I'd encourage people not to do really is to blame the person or to say to them, why don't you leave? And you've tried three times and you still haven't done it. I mean, we can all get really frustrated um, that someone's not doing what we want them to do. But the key is to respect that person's decision because they have to make the decision that's right for them at that time at a pace that's right for them because they have to be able to sustain the change. And people say, you know, it's, it's much harder to to leave than it is to stay. And that sounds like a really odd thing to do. But, you know, I mean, I'd love to um, lose some weight. Uh, and, you know, but it's really hard to do that and to actually have a plan that you stick to. So we all know what we shouldn't do. And, um, you know, women that need to leave violent situations are the same. They can be patient and talk through their options and also to come up with a safety plan. So the other thing I'd say is really, really important is to encourage people to think about how they can be safe. And if you're the neighbour or a friend, it might be that you say to somebody, look, here's the keys to my shack or to my home or here's a spare key. And if things get really bad, I, I hear what you've said and that you've said that you don't want to leave. But here's somewhere you can bolt to where they won't know where you are. You know, and that can be a huge thing uh, for somebody. Or you might um, have at your house a, a box of really precious things to that person that are sentimentally important that might be stored at your house because we also know that often people leave at very short notice and there's some important things that they can't take with them that are of sentimental value. So there's people in the community who can do all sorts of things and you, it doesn't mean also having the kind of difficult conversations that I said um, that I'd encourage people to have. But if you're not that kind of personality, that's okay too, just to let them know that you will listen any time of the day is really helpful and helps people uh, feel less alone. You mentioned here's the key to the shack. There are a lot of people at the moment who've got empty shacks because we can't go mm. there right now. What is the risk that there is going to be an increase in women and children who are homeless now if they do try and leave during this time? 
Well, there is a huge risk that um, if they leave the home, um, and particularly during the lockdowns in France and in China that we saw when women left, um, France is a great example because the government actually made available um, hotel rooms for women and children to go to. Uh, and that's an initiative that we're encouraging the government to consider here in Australia. We think it's a great idea because we know there's high vacancy rates in uh, accommodation places. My only reservation about that is it's not just about the safe place to bolt to, it's about all the other support services that sit around that, that can help people on their journey and a pathway out of that abusive relationship. So. While the shack might be really well-meaning and might be a great place immediately for somebody to go, it might not be great long-term if it's a long way away from services and if people don't have a phone or they don't have a computer and then they can't connect. I guess the other thing I'd say too to people is to be really careful about their passwords to their MyGov accounts and to their online accounts and to bank accounts and things and to also do an e-safety check to make sure that they're not being monitored or um, there's not surveillance on their phones or their computers. Is that easy to do? It's very easy to um, do the check and they can go to the e-commissioner site and there's a checklist of things that they can do so that you can turn things on and off your phone. And I must admit, uh, when I looked at it, I thought, oh, you know, I didn't have any of those security settings um, on my own personal phone. I'm not very internet savvy and some of your listeners might not be either. So it's a great tool to just get on there and have a look at it. But, you know, we've also had clients who have been to the mechanic with their car and they've found out that there's been a tracking device installed in their car and it's been their mechanic that's actually told them about that. The lived experience for women looks really, really different um, from circumstance to circumstance but whatever your experience looks like there are services that are available to help. I'm going to say that stat again that one in four women will have experienced abuse at the hands of their intimate partner in their lifetime so that means there are people listening that are either dealing with it now or have dealt with it in the past. You're also talking to them now Yvette um, during this really tricky time. What's your advice to them now. I'd say to them that you are not alone and there is help and support out there uh, and to reach out to other people and I know how hard that can be but if they um, need help and they need assistance to pick up the phone or to email us as a service at the Women's Legal Service or the Family Violence Counselling Support Service in Gender Equality or SAS. Uh, any of those uh, services that exist, reach out because you are not alone and there are professionals who can help you. And how confident are you that day-to-day people, community members can help make a difference to these women and children into the future? Look, I'm, I'm really confident, um, Penny, because what I hope is that one day there isn't a need for a women's legal service, that one day we'll all be equal and that gender inequality will be a thing of the past. But we've all got our part to play in the culture that we all create by our day-to-day acts and the way we all behave and the behaviour that we all model to our own children and within our families uh, and within our relationships. And I do think that if we're kind and compassionate and we act in a community spirit and in an Australian way, that we can all 
help each other through this very difficult time. It will pass, there will be light at the end of the tunnel, but it won't be easy and it will be particularly difficult for people that have an experience of family violence in their own homes. And maybe the upside to COVID-19 is it gives us time to reflect and think about what we can do for others. There is no doubt it's a really big job, but I think we've got to have a crack, don't we? That's Yvette Seatle. She's the CEO of the Women's Legal Service in Tasmania. She mentioned a couple of other services as well, the Family Violence Counselling Support Service, the Sexual Assault Service, or SAS, Engendered Equality. There are also the shelters. In Tasmania, it includes Magnolia Place in Launceston, Warraway in the northwest, and the Hobart Women's Shelter, plus other local services, and I'll put these details in the show notes. But wherever you live, don't forget the National Line, 1-800-RESPECT if you need help now. 1-800-RESPECT. So how are you going after that? It was pretty tough going in some spots, but I feel like I know a lot more about the sorts of things that people might be experiencing at home and that I'm better equipped to recognise when someone needs help and I think I've got a better idea of how to provide that help. Ah, there it is again. Now, not every episode of Health Speak is going to be this heavy. On the next episode, we're going to meet Caroline. So if you're kind of new to this mental health lingo and even the thought of it being remotely to do with your mental health and your mind might totally make you feel very uncomfortable. Um, I sometimes talk to people about what are their barometers in their environment. Caroline's got some great stories and great ways to help people who may have been dealing with some of the massive stresses that COVID-19's bringing around, be it job loss, disconnection or just physical distancing. So I'll talk to you then for another episode of HealthSpeak as part of the Healthy Georgetown program thanks to the Georgetown Council.